In, uh, we had just read Acts chapter 16, uh, and it's the beginning of the Philippian church. From the households of Lydia and the Philippian jailer and possibly others, a small but healthy church has begun by the grace of God. As one reads then through the book of Acts, from 16 to 25, Paul travels on, planting churches. Ephesus, Thessalonica. Eventually, though, as we see, and if you read through the book of Acts, in chapter 21 to 25, Paul makes his way back to Jerusalem after that missionary journey to visit the brothers there. While there, Paul's Jewish opponents cause uproar. And have him arrested. Paul is sent before the proconsul, where he where we read that he makes that appeal to Caesar and is sent on his way under guard to Rome. Word of Paul's journey and imprisonment would have spread through all the churches that Paul had visited, and the Philippians, particularly, were one church that were determined to help Paul, as we read of in chapter four, verse fifteen of the Philippian letter. Upon hearing this news, they mount their efforts and raise a large monetary gift for Paul, as we read of in chapter 4, 18, and send it to Paul by the means of Epaphroditus. Paul then, with receiving this gift and with great thanksgiving and love, uh, for the Philippians' love and care, takes up his pen to write a warm and loving letter to the people at Philippi, a message of encouragement and hope. And we will see this in chapter 4, verse 14 to 20. However, Epaphroditus also gives an update to Paul about his loved ones in Philippi. As is made clear in chapter 130 and 4, verse 14, which I will read to you now. In chapters 130, it says, Having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. And then in chapter 4, verse 14, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. The Philippian Philippian church was struggling as well. The same type of people that wanted to kill Paul and Silas, as we read in Acts chapter 16, were were making life difficult for the Philippian church. There were physical needs, as we read in chapter 4, 6. And these hardships added up were causing anxiety. And maybe even causing, as commentators, some of them disagree, but as causing, there is a part in chapter 4, as we'll get there, Eutychus and uh, Syncathy are disagreeing. There's a disunity among the church. And Paul is writing also to exhort them, to build them up in joy, Christian unity, in trust in God's faithfulness, to remind them of Christ's love and also who they are as Christ's followers. I say this now as a brief introduction to the letter of Philippi. And as we go on, this picture will be filled in a little bit more. And so this afternoon, as we begin this series of Philippians, we'll look particularly at who we are, you and me together, are as Christians from the first two verses of Philippians 1. I'd like to extrapolate on this in three ways. That we are God's servants. And that we are his saints. 
and then conclude with talking about God's greeting of grace to us. In in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants or bondservants of Christ Jesus. Paul, the writer, with Timothy, his associate, begins by describing himself as servants of Jesus Christ. Paul's goal right away is to direct his reader's attention to the source of the letter. The Holy Spirit is the author. Paul merely the penman. Or the bondservant. Now let's look at this word, bondservant. Or slave. The term slave or servant or bondservant in the Greek and Roman culture, as it is even today, is not the most glamorous of titles. Can you imagine if you didn't know who I was, or maybe you did, and I walk up to you and say, Hi, nice to meet you. We should connect sometime. Here's my business card. And my business card says, Micah Barch, slave. And it's not the way to necessarily win friends and influence people, is it? The way to do that would be, oh, I have CEO or PhD and then my name. Well, in Paul's day, a slave or servant did not hold much status either. So why does Paul use the word bondservant? I mean, after all, Paul did have status. He was a Roman citizen. He was educated by the great teacher Gamaliel. Well, in Rome, if you were a slave, it did not say much about you. But it would say a lot about the status of your owner. Slaves for the elite and the wealthy of Rome were a status symbol. They would have often walked in front of the carriage or chariot or horse of their master, bringing attention to their master. So then when Paul calls himself a slave bondservant, he is proclaiming the status of his master. Paul is declaring his allegiance to Jesus Christ. He is magnifying his master, identifying himself as Christ's own. In proclaiming himself as a slave, Paul is rejecting all other claims of lordship. He's not Rome's. He's Christ's. The term servant might not hold influence in the world, but in Scripture... It is a very high commendation. Christ himself became our servant, as we will see in a minute, and as we will see later in chapter 2. Paul is imitating his master. He renounces all self-dependence, self-importance, self-seeking, self-praise. And why? Why? Because Paul is so eager to proclaim himself as owned by Christ. Why, why is he so eager? Why, why would be, anyone be so eager to pronounce himself a slave? Because Paul was once a slave of another master. A master of sin. He was once a servant of self. Blind to the, that, to the knowledge that God is the one who made him, who gave him breath. Yet Christ, by his grace, made Paul alive, purchased him to be a servant of God Almighty. To, to 
Paul? Christ is number one. Who is your number one? Yourself or Christ? I'm not saying that we can't get degrees. We shouldn't become CEOs or have PhDs. But I am asking who's first. Are you a servant of your job or your stuff? If so, Christ won't be magnified, will he? That means you have an idol, actually. Have no other idols before me. Have you ever met someone who will not talk, stop talking about sports? Or just, maybe just sports, maybe just input, whatever. You've met someone who just is on and on about this one thing. Every time you think about him, you think about sports. But then you have another, do you know anyone who every time you meet with them, you feel refreshed and built up in the knowledge of God. Every time you think about them, you're encouraged. Instead of the sports being magnified every time you think of them, Christ's name is magnified every time you think of them. What do people remember about you? What do you talk about all the time? What do you talk about most with people at church? With each other? A servant is one who brings honor to his master. Have you ever seen those old Victoria, well, they're not old necessarily, the BBC dramas? Those big estates in England. Have you ever seen those? I think Downton Abbey's kind of like that. Anyway, what happens? When a visitor comes to the door, the butler always answers the door and shows the visitor in to see the master. This is what's happening here. Paul is a servant showing the world his master. Showing the Philippians his master. But furthermore, this term slaver, bondservant, also notes an unconditional service to Jesus Christ. There is labor in being a Christian. Our example of this is Christ. Matthew 20, verse 27 says, Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Christ came to serve you and me. He is the ultimate servant. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And just reading from verses 3 to 5 of John chapter 13, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from the the supper and laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. And later on he says, in verse 8, if, you do not wa- if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. And then jumping back then to our, our book, Philippians chapter 2, we read of in verses 5 through 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, 
even death of the cross. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant. In both these verses, we see Christ, the Son of God, becoming our servant. He removes his garment and girds himself with a towel to take the form, taking the form of a bond servant. He laid aside his majesty so that he could take our sin, labor under the weight of our sin at Golgotha. He bore our punishment so that he could show us to the Father. Paul was an amazing man. But he was not here to build a name for himself or to collect a following, as we'll see in, later in the chapter. He was so happy to be welcomed into Christ's kingdom and to be an underworker because of the mighty acts, the mighty act of his Savior. Are you willing, here today, to give up everything in service to the one who served you? Would you, how many of you would clear your schedules if, well, not the queen anymore, but the king invited you to Buckingham Palace for tea? If any of you said, sorry, I'm busy, I'd be pretty surprised. I disagree, agreeing that we're not agreeing with it. Are you willing to give everything in service of him? Not for the sake of compassion, Pleading our salvation. For Christ's service is completely sufficient to do that. But out of thanksgiving to him for taking you from death to life. Well then let's look at then the second part. To all the saints in Christ who are, at, who are in Philippi. I wonder what we think about when we hear the word saint. I was kind of interested what Google had to say about it. So I did a Google search on the word. And what came up was pretty much what I expected to come up. A saint, quote, a saint is a person who is recognized as having exceptional, an exceptional degree of holiness, likeness, or closeness to God. How does scripture use the word? The word here in our text is the same word for holy. Paul is saying to all my holy ones who are in Philippi. Now we stop and think about this, we realize how glorious a title this is. In the Bible, the word holy is reserved for God and certain places and things that God has set apart because his presence dwelt there. The word is not merely denoting another attribute of God, his purity or a part of his divinity, but more deeper, it goes deeper than that. It's an expression of God's total separateness from everything, especially sin. God cannot look upon sin because he's holy. Israel cannot walk into the holy of holies in the tabernacle in the days of Moses because they were polluted with sin. And even then, only the high priest could go and then once a year. And they had to do a number of sacrifices first. They would have died if they would have gone in. A pastor commented, The word holy touches the very essence of the nature of God 
And I love this. And it is the word which is here in our text made to describe the Christian. But then we have to ask the question. If God's holiness makes him totally separate from us, and our sin puts us as far away from it as possible, how can we be called saints? By the very next two words in the text. In, well, three, sorry. In Christ Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. In 1 Corinthians verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says the church of God is identified as consisting of those sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints. The believer is a saint. He is holy by virtue of union with Christ. Jesus is our holiness. In Christ. It is one of the it is one of Paul's favorite phrases to use in his epistles. And it, it, it's used to point out Christ's great work of redemption. By which you and me can receive the title saint and be a servant to him. United in his, his death, united in his resurrection. Christ chose you. And so in one sense, the Google definition is in some sense right. It it means closest to God. But in another sense, again, it's all wrong. The idea of Satan has been wrongly used to mean extra special holy acts people have done. And if you pray to that person, well, it's another couple years knocked off in purgatory. But Paul makes it clear that all God's people are saints. Not because of what they did, but because of the special act Christ Jesus did for them. It is not our exceptional degree of holiness, but Christ's perfect holiness applied to us. Just as God is holy, we partake of that holiness in Him. A saint is someone who by the Lord has been set free, set apart to glorify Him. We here, the people that have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, are the ones set apart from the world, called to be holy. Saints at Philippi to glorify Him. Saints at Kingston to glorify Him. This is who we are in Christ. And this is what Christ is calling you today to do. Even here as we gather. Paul was calling the Philippians, as we'll get through it, to live a life set apart for Christ at Philippi. A city very much set in the idolatry of Rome. The Spirit of God, through Paul, called the Philippians not to live as Romans, but as saints whose citizenship is in heaven. This would not have been easy. This would have taken them, this would have removed the, the social picture of being in Philippi. They can't laugh at that latest theater because of the immorality. They can't go and watch the gladiatorial games. They, the, all the jobs, particularly most of the jobs in the Roman society were part of guilds, working guilds. And all of the guilds had a particular god, pretty much, small g. And Part of that, it was very religious. 
And so, if what you, if you had to go, let's say you're a carpenter, you'd have to go and do worship to that God. It, caught, it, it, put, it made a lot of Christians very poor. And this is also what God calls you and me here to do at Kings, in Kingston. It is often easy for us to want to be liked so much by the world. So that, as, so that we can get along with them. Tempted to use their language. That they watch the, the TVs, the TV or the TV shows, or the movies that they watch. But when we do this, we are not lifting up the name of Christ in all its holiness, in all its glory and beauty. Because God detests the world's sinful pleasures. And we must remember who we are set apart. Saints in Kingston. But we do not go, we do not go into this calling alone. Jesus Christ in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. Christ sends his saints, his servants, into the world in order to be a light in the world. And he is with us the whole way. And this brings us then finally to the grace of Jesus Christ, which is the center of Christianity. And what makes a Christian grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ himself meets you and me. And he greets us with his grace and with his peace. How often when we sin do we feel ashamed? What would God, what would God say to me right now? This is what he says to you right now. Grace and peace. What is grace? It's God's favor. Grace, God's grace is His favor bestowed to you and me without our own merit. All by the virtue of the mediatorial work, the great service and atoning sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. Grace that brought God the Father's Holy Son down from heaven to take on the form of a servant. To fulfill the obedience of the law that we lack, we could not fulfill. To suffer and die, taking the punishment for our sin upon himself. So that we could be set free from our slavery and sin. From our destiny with death and hell. And made holy for God. Made alive in Christ. This grace is restored fellowship with the Father through the Son. Grace provided for us to become servants and saints in Christ Jesus. Because left to ourselves, our lives would end as slaves to our corrupt natures. We have a free gift. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. That's grace. 
Now maybe you're all thinking, being a servant and a saint for Christ is not easy. Well, no, it's not. But Christ greets you and me and comes to us with grace and peace. Everything we'll ever need and stand in need of to, to live for Christ. To live as a servant, as a saint for Christ. He who started a good work will complete it. And this leaves us with peace. It leaves us with peace. The first fruits of redemption. Peace, first and foremost, with God. And peace we, shall, we will see as we go through this letter. With every circumstance that, it comes, that comes our way. Paul learned this. He could say in Philippians 4.11, For I have learned in whatever situation to, I am content. Because of the peace. God gave him. Paul saw before him what awaited him in heaven. Where his home was, with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, when we live our lives with our face toward the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ, with the, with the prize of being with Christ, and our minds remembering the service that Christ did for us constantly, having the gospel before us day by day, yes, every day, We will find peace. Not in our own strength, but in His. He whose mind is stayed on the Lord has perfect peace. Peace that sees that turmoil, sees the turmoil and the wars, the killing, the kidnapping, the confusion in our schools today. All of it. Christ will take care of it all. Christ is in control. He is the king in control and will bear me to his glorious shore. Will bear you. We have to remain faithful. Seeking him, depending on him. Living with our eyes focused on the cross of Jesus Christ. We, he, we have here in our text, in grace and in peace, all that is essential in the Christian life. A salutation which compromises the whole message of the gospel. And it greets you right now. Will you acknowledge it? Do you know this grace and this peace? If you don't, then come. For it is a free gift. He will by no means cast you away. This is a prayer. A prayer in which is revealed that the grace and the peace of God are the first and the last and the best which we can ever petition from God for one another. And what God loves to bestow on those who will repent and run to Christ for forgiveness. Today, if you believe upon Jesus Christ, knowing that you were once a slave of sin, but are now set free from God, He calls you saints. I just want to close then this afternoon with this verse of this hymn. Loved with everlasting love, drawn by grace that love to know, Spirit sent from Christ above, Thou dost witness it so. Oh, this full and precious peace from His presence all divine, in a love that cannot cease, I am His, and He is mine. To the glory and praise of God our Father.
Amen. Let us pray.